Turning your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do ask you to do what only you can do, and that is to break the bread of life to us today, to show us the truth that is concealed here in your word, truth that you desire, with great desire, to reveal to our hearts. If we'll just put ourselves aside and allow you to do that. We pray that we might do that in this meeting today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're continuing our study of Jacob's final words to his sons. We mentioned last week that the Spirit of God in these first two verses of this chapter is again calling our attention to the fact that Jacob was a man with two names. We've talked in great detail about the significance of that. It's a picture of those who know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. If we know Him today, we have two names. If we know Him today, we have two natures. We have the nature, we have the name that we were born with. And when we trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, He gives us His name. And He gives us His life, His nature. We aren't going to go back and talk about that again this morning, but the Spirit of God does this here in the first two verses of chapter 49 because he wants to make it clear who it is that's speaking. It's Jacob who calls his sons together, but it's not Jacob that they're to hearken to. It's Israel that they're to hearken to. We mentioned last week that verse 2 is an example of 2 Peter 1.21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. This prophecy did not come by Jacob. This isn't Jacob who is speaking here. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God. That's Israel. It's Israel that is speaking. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Israel here in Genesis 49 is one of the holy men of God that Peter is talking about who spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost. And that's important because of what Israel says to his sons in verse 1. Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. This is the first time that we find these words, the last days, in the Bible. They're words that signal a prophetic message. They're words that refer to a time in the future. And the time in the future that Israel's words refer to here is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming into the world some 2,000 years ago is when this time period that we know as the last day begins. 
We saw that last week in the opening verses of Hebrews chapter 1, where Paul writes, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. The last days begin with the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world. And Israel prophesies of the Lord's first coming. Look at verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. We've talked about the name Shiloh in these messages concerning Jacob. The name Shiloh means peace bringer. We find that word 31 times in the Old Testament. 30 of those times, it is the name of a place. Only once is it the name of a person. And that's here in Genesis 49 and verse 10. And we read about that person. We read about Shiloh. We read about this peace bringer. In Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Shiloh, the peace bringer, is the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this name is an Old Testament name, for the Lord Jesus. We talked last week about the incredible detail of Israel's words here and how those words came to pass just exactly as he spoke them. He said that the scepter would not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And Shiloh came when the scepter had departed from Judah. And when there were no more lawgivers from between his feet. And so in verse 10, Israel prophesies of the first coming of the Lord Jesus into the world. He prophesies, if you will, of the person of the Lord Jesus. But in verse 11, I believe that Israel prophesies of the work of the Lord Jesus. He prophesies concerning why the Lord Jesus came into the world. Look at verse 11. Israel's talking about Shiloh, and he says, Binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. In the first part of this verse, there are three words, I believe, that direct us to an event in the life of the Lord Jesus that Israel is prophesying of. The words are foal and ass's coat. I'd like for you to keep your place here and turn over to the next to the last book in the Old Testament, right before the, the book of Malachi. We come to the book of Zechariah. And... We want to look at Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. And we want to 
read verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. This is the event in the life of Shiloh. Lord Jesus Christ that Israel is prophesying of 1,200 years before the Spirit of God reveals the same thing to Zechariah. Now turn over to Luke's gospel, if you will. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and look at verse 29. And it came to pass when he, that's Shiloh, the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. Now look at verse 35. And they brought him, the colt, to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace, interesting to see that word, the peace bringer is on that colt. The Prince of Peace is on that colt. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is the event that Israel is prophesying of. In the first part of Genesis 49 and verse 11, the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem, it's the event that Zechariah prophesied of. It's the very event that Daniel prophesied of, down to the very day when Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, Messiah the Prince, offers himself to the nation of Israel. But Israel's prophecy isn't done. There's a very particular order to it. And I'd like for you to go back to to Genesis chapter 49 again. It's a very important order in this verse. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. That's Shiloh's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But now look at Israel's next words. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Very important order. Shiloh rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And then what is the next event that we read about here? Shiloh washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Folks, the next event 
in the life of Shiloh after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem was the crucifixion. And that's what Israel's words here in the last part of verse 11, I believe, are describing. Again, I want you to keep your place here. This is our home base, but I'd like for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 63 for just a minute. Isaiah chapter 63. In verse 1, Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. We're reading here about Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 2, he's asked a question. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? Remember Israel's prophecy concerning Shiloh. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Now notice the Lord's answer in verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes, just as Israel prophesied when he trod the winepress alone. I want us to think about that. He did that in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Lord Jesus came to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he told them to sit here. And then he took Peter and James and John with him a little farther into the garden. And he began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And the Lord Jesus left them. He left Peter and James and John, and he withdrew himself from them about a stone's cast, probably 50 or 60 or 70 yards. And so of the people, there was none with him. He was by himself. And he prayed to his father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Why would Shiloh, why would the Lord Jesus pray that? I believe it's because of what was in that cup. And I think we find a description of what was in that cup in Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning at verse 32. For their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asp. This is a description of you and me. It's a description of what we are by nature. It's a description of our sin. And we know that is true because in Romans chapter 3, when Paul is describing us as all under sin... When he says of every man and woman and child who has ever lived, there is none righteous, no, not one. When he says there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. 
There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now listen to Romans 3.13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. This is the cup of our sin. The sin of every person who's ever lived. This is what the Lord Jesus was looking into. Is it any wonder that he was in an agony? Is it any wonder that his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground? Is it any wonder that Shiloh said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death? And I think that that we can understand on some level the Lord praying that prayer as he saw each individual sin of the trillions of people who have lived on this planet. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. I think we can understand on some level him praying that prayer. But I'll tell you what we will never understand. Only eternity will reveal the love of God for sinners that caused the Lord Jesus Christ to speak those next words. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And what was the will of the Father? The will of the Father is that the Lord would lay on him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. The will of the Father was that he would put him to grief, that he would make his soul an offering for sin. The will of the Father was that the Lord Jesus Christ would would be made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And the only way that could happen is Israel's prophecy concerning Shiloh in Genesis 49 and verse 11. It had to come to pass. He washed His garments in wine. Our wine that is the poison of dragon and the cruel venom of asp. The only way that could happen is Israel's prophecy concerning Shiloh. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Our grapes that are grapes of gall. Our clusters that are bitter. And Shiloh did that in verse 3 where he says, I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, did that on the cross of Calvary, where he trod the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God against our sin. And it's instructive, and it's a blessing to notice that Israel's prophecy In Genesis 49 and verse 11 is in the past tense. 1,700 years before it happened, he washed, past tense, his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Isaiah's prophecy here is in the past tense, 700 years before it happened. I have trodden the winepress alone. Now why would the Lord write these prophecies concerning Shiloh, in the past tense. Because Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the Lamb slain 
before the foundation of the world. That's eternity past. Shiloh, the Lord Jesus, is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That's time. And so from eternity past, from the beginning of time, Shiloh's death upon the cross of Calvary for sinners is referred to in the past tense because it was an accomplished fact in the mind of God. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 49, if you will. And so in verse 10, we have the prophecy of the person of Shiloh, the peace bringer, the prince of peace, the everlasting father, the mighty God, God manifest in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, we have the prophecy of his work, the prophecy of what Shiloh, the peace bringer, would do. He would make peace through the blood of his cross. So Israel gives us a very detailed prophecy of the coming of Shiloh, the first coming of the Lord Jesus. But he also gives us a detailed prophecy of the second coming of the Lord. We talked last week about Israel's words at the end of verse 10. And unto him, Shiloh, shall the gathering of the people be. Now we know that the people of this world were not gathered to the Lord Jesus when he came 2,000 years ago. That's true of the nation of Israel as well. John said in John chapter 1 and verse 11, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Neither Jew nor Gentile were gathered to Shiloh when he came the first time. And that's what Isaiah prophesied. He said concerning the Lord Jesus, He is despised and rejected of men. And so when is it? When is it that unto him shall the gathering of the people be? Well, it's going to happen in two phases, if you will. It will happen for the first time when Shiloh, the Lord Jesus, comes to the air to take out of this world His people, the church, those who have seen their need for Him, those who have seen their sin, and those who have turned to Him from their sin and, and been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We read about that last week in 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Unto Him shall the gathering of the people be. To meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the first phase of Israel's words. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The second phase will be seven years later. I want you to notice something here. Notice the identification of Judah with the lion in verse 9. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Judah is a lion's whelp. Judah couched as a lion. Judah 
as an old line, who shall rouse him up? Those are words of prophecy. Because they look forward to, I believe, what we read in Revelation chapter 5. When the church is in heaven with the Lord. And the question is asked, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Who is worthy to open the seals of the judgment of God that will then give way to the trumpet judgments and the seven vile judgments of the wrath of God that will be poured out on this world in the seven years of tribulation? And the answer comes in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 5. One of the elders tells John, John's weeping. Because no one was found worthy. One of the elders tells John, weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah. The line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Shiloh, the Lord Jesus Christ, hath prevailed to open the book. And to loose the seven seals. The line of the tribe of Judah. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to pour out his judgment upon this earth for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, John tells us in Revelation chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, And I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. He already had that vesture on. Where did he get that? The cross of Calvary where he tread the winepress alone. He was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood. Israel saw that day coming. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the second phase of these words. The second phase, if you will, of Israel's prophecy. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. This is when it's going to come to pass. And this phase, this aspect of these words applies to the nation of Israel. Because when the Lord Jesus comes in Revelation 19, He's going to come to the earth. And He's going to do what Israel prophesies here in verse 8. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Notice these next words. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. We don't see that now, do we? We don't see that now. But we're going to see it. And it's going to be 
in this day, when the line of the tribe of Judah comes, his hand is going to be in the neck of his enemies, and he's going to rule on the earth for a thousand years. He's going to rule with a rod of iron. And unto him shall the gathering of the people of Israel be. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, God says, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. And shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in Zechariah 13 and verse 9, God says, And I will bring the third part, the third part of the nation of Israel, through the fire, the fire of the tribulation. And will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. Listen, they shall call on my name, and I will hear. I will say, it is my people, and they shall say, the Lord is my God. There is the fulfillment of Jacob's prophecy concerning Israel. And unto him, Shiloh, shall the gathering of the people be. What amazing prophecy that we have here in these verses, way back here in the book of Genesis. But they aren't here for our amazement. They aren't here for our spiritual entertainment. They're here because there is a personal message. A personal message that we need to hear and believe. Notice again Israel's words at the end of verse 11. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. That happened in love and mercy and grace on the cross of Calvary. When the Lord Jesus took our sin upon himself. But that is going to happen again. He's going to wash his garments and and wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. But this time, it's not going to be in mercy. It's going to be in judgment. We read in Revelation 19 and verse 15, concerning the word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. I'm not trying to wear you out, but would you turn back to Isaiah chapter 63 again? Isaiah chapter 63. I should have told you to keep your place there. But look at Isaiah 63. And what we're going to see here is Genesis 49, 11. And Revelation 19, 15. In one verse. Look at verse 3. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. That's Israel's prophecy in Genesis 49 and verse 11, fulfilled when Shiloh came the first time. Now look at the next words in verse 3. For I will tread them in mine anger, and trample them in my fury, And their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. That's the other part 
of Israel's prophecy. It's also the prophecy of Revelation 19.15. That's a prophecy that's yet to be fulfilled. And so what that means is that we are living in a gap of time. We're living in a gap of time between Israel's prophecy in Genesis 49 and verse 11 and Paul's prophecy in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 and John's prophecy in Revelation 19 and 15. A gap of time that Israel calls the last days. He was 100% accurate, wasn't he? And that gap of time is drawing rapidly to a close. The Lord Jesus could come to the air at any moment. And when he does, if you're lost, God is going to send you a strong delusion that you should believe a lie. And you're going to perish because you would not receive the love of the truth. The love of the truth. How shallow the Lord Jesus trod the winepress alone, the winepress of your sin. That's the love of the truth. You wouldn't receive that that you might be saved. And Paul says in First Thessalonians, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that you're going to be damned because you receive not the love of the truth. Instead, what you chose is the pleasures of sin for a season. And you're going to experience the last part of this third verse. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments and I will stain all my raiment. But I'll tell you the good news this morning. It doesn't have to be that way. Because it's still called today. It's still the day of grace. It's still the accepted time. It's still the day of salvation. When you can believe the message of the gospel, when you can humble your heart, when you can see yourself as God sees you, when you can see the Lord Jesus taking your place and bearing your sin in His own body on the tree, and you can lay down your rebellion and you can fall at His nail-scarred feet, and you can trust Him to be your Savior. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for this precious book. We thank You for the message. We thank You for the, for the perfection of it. We thank You for the tentacles of the gospel message that reach from Genesis to Isaiah to the Gospels, to the book of the Revelation, and everywhere in between, to bring forth the message of Him who loved us unto death, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you might speak to any who are lost today to cause them to see that the hour is late. Their time is running out. Today is the day of salvation. Help those of us who know you to understand that same message that we might live for you until you come and not be ashamed that you're appearing. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.